Welcome, listeners, to the Hashtag SDR Ask podcast. I'm Amy Hall, and Greg Kokel's here with me. We're here to answer your questions that you send on Twitter with the hashtag SDR Ask, hence the name. Greg, yes, you ready for the Amy. first question? Yes, All right. This first one comes from Pam Garcia. How can we make the case that the Bible is the Word of God? That's it? That's it. Oh, that's easy. (laughs) Well, this is going to be surprising to hear from me, but I wouldn't try to make the case with non-Christians that the Bible is the inerrant Word of God. Uh, I believe it to be so. I trust in it as so. But I, even though I give a talk that we actually had at at uh, Reality years ago, what is now Reality, on the reasons why we have uh, confidence to believe that this book is not a book simply written by men, but is the book it claims to be a book by God to men through men, humans, okay? And that's really the question. The broad question is, who is the principal author? Is this a fully human book, or is this a supernaturally originated book, ultimately? And I look at six different reasons why um, we should think of it as the thing it claims to be, uh, and that's this incredible unified story that we have from the beginning to end, even though we have all these different authors, all the pieces fit together in a marvelous way. And I talk about that in the material on the Bible Fast Forward. Uh, It has prophecy that's fulfilled. We know it has prophecy fulfilled because we have the book of Daniel in the Dead Sea Scrolls written 200 years, in the Septuagint, written hundreds, and other Dead Sea Scrolls written hundreds of years before the time of Christ, about prophecies in Daniel that were fulfilled in the time of Christ. Even if somebody would say, well, Daniel didn't write that, you know, in the, you know, the 5th century B.C., nevertheless, or the 6th, nevertheless, whoever wrote it got the prophecies right, you know, so we know that. And Jesus prophesied the destruction of the temple, and that happened. So we, we got fulfilled prophecy. We have, we have the, addressing these big questions with, the, of, of life with cr- tremendous insight in a, in a way that resonates with our deepest intuitions about the world. Um, we have historical events that are accurately historically recorded um, that bear testimony to the reality of supernatural things that happened, like principally the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, we also have uh, the ability of the, the of this book to transform lives, and most Christians are aware of that. We have this survival of this book through time and persecution when there's plenty of opportunity to destroy the book and attempts, but it's never been done. And in aggregate, this 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 is a case that this book is not a book merely by men about God, but it is a book given by God to men, though through men. All right, and the through man thing is not a problem because if look at if God's involved, he's he can work through fallible people. I mean that ought to be self evidently so. If God's involved, humans are not the problem here. All right, so, but as I and I've given this talk many times, I've written on it. 
But I realized a number of years ago that this isn't the reason most people who believe the Word of God is the Word of God believe it's the Word of God. Most people believe it for a different reason. Well, what's that reason? Well, simply put, they encounter it. They encounter it. They engage it. They read it. It begins to change them. It resonates with them. The things that are said here seem more and more solid and true. And this is the way it was for me when I became a Christian, and this is the way it is for almost every Christian who believes the Bible's the Word of God, but has never given a six-point talk about the reasons why this is from God to men, not from men about God. And so, and think of Jesus. Jesus, when he preached, um, he didn't say, okay, um, let me give you the reasons why I'm speaking for the Father, and then I'll give you a talk. <laughs> he just spoke. And he acted, of course, with, uh, with, with miracles that, are, that in the Greek mean attesting miracles. So he's given evidence with his actions that secure his words in order that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. I say to you, arise, take up your pellet, and, and go out, Mark chapter 2. Um, even so, you know, when soldiers were sent to Jesus to arrest him, they came back empty-handed, and they were asked, where's Jesus? And they said, no one speaks as this man speaks. So there is a sense that with Jesus and with the Scripture— when we engage it, it has a compelling impact on us. Not everybody, but, uh, but on many. And to me, the best way to know the Bible's the inspired Word of God is to engage it. And we have many, many, many testimonies to that order. Our, our friend Guillaume Bignon, for example, the French atheist who became a Christian and a theologian apologist. Yeah, we have, do we have a schedule for later in the year to be on the air? I think we do. We do. Yeah, but this is what happened to him. He's trying to discredit the Bible. He's reading it, and he's completely taken it. Bill Craig, he's reading the Gospels, and he's overwhelmed with this person of Jesus of Nazareth as a non-Christian college student. And, and others, many, many examples. That, 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 and so, consequently, I, that would be my recommendation. Don't try to convince an individual that this is the Word of God. Communicate what the Scripture says, and let them judge whether it's sound or not. In a certain sense, you can— uh, you can. Tr- People say, "Well, that book is just written by men," and I say, "Do you have any books in your library?" Yes. Do you like them? Have they been helpful? Of course. Were these written by human beings or someone else? No, they're all written by human beings. Okay, so that a book is written by a human being doesn't disqualify it from being helpful and useful or truthful as it speaks to issues of life. And that's the level on which I'm going to want to commend the Bible to skeptics, all right? Um, now, there's a lot of awkward things in the Bible. It takes, it takes some study to understand. I get it. But, um, but the broader concerns, the plight of man and the solution to man's plight comes across powerfully. And, uh, and, and I think that, that has, a, as some would say, a self-attesting quality to it. Mm-hmm. You don't have to pray for a 
like the Mormons do, for burning in the bosom that their particular book, the Book of Mormon in this case, which is not even theological, so I don't know why they're asking for prayer about that. You don't have to pray and ask God to show you. The the, the book itself has the power, to, and it, I mean, this is, I, I'm, I'm pausing because I, I'm concerned I'm not communicating well. Mormons are given the Book of Mormon, and they are asked to pray to see if they get a, a burning in the bosom, which is a testimony from God that the Book of Mormon is true. This is not what happens with Christians who now believe the Bible is the Word of God. Christians don't have to pray, give me a burning in the bosom. Christian people engage the book, and as they engage the book, they are persuaded and drawn into it. This is a huge difference between LDS mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and what I'm describing right here. They're asking for extra information from God to verify it, whereas the actual words of the Bible are self-attesting because they show us the glory of God and the truth about who we are. And we recognize that we're reading the actual words. Does that sum up what you're saying? Yes, very nicely done. All right. Now, um, do you want to give the 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 mnemonic for the other parts, or do you think would that take too much time right now? What I uh, the the the, uh, the memory tool? Okay, yeah. yeah the <laughs> Amy's holding up her hand here, like giving <laughs> fun, because that's what we use. Um, but uh, no, I actually already gave it, but I'll, I'll identify it. I said. Pinky, you think of your fingers or your hand, okay? Pinky, fulfilled prophecy. Ring finger, unity. Middle finger, big finger, big questions. Um, index finger, index to history. Gives us historically true information about a m- miraculous events. It's not just that it's historically sound. It's what history it records, miraculous events. Thumbs up, that means it changes lives and make that all into a fist, and that's the survivor the fighter through time and persecution. It's really helpful to remember all those aspects of what we do find in the Bible. Yeah, and the mnemonic is helpful because I I was going through that in my mind. I was looking at my hand as I was ticking (laughs) off those details earlier in my answer. Here's a question from Operation Pre-Crime. I pray daily and put my full trust and faith in the Lord, yet I can't seem to catch a break. Why are we assured in the Bible to be anxious for nothing, fear not, etc., yet God allows plenty of bad things to happen to us? So how can we not be anxious and stressed? Well, this is a, also a, a sensational question, and very it's one that I have addressed or struggled with a lot in my life. Um, the reason... The, one of the verse that is being re- verses that's being referred to is in Philippians, I think, chapter 3. It says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, notice that this passage does not say, you will be, all your prayers will be answered, and that's what's going to make you feel good. Because this isn't true. God doesn't answer all our prayers, and it's a good thing, because we don't pray as we ought, Romans 8. Holy Spirit is helping, but we don't always pray as we ought. Holy Spirit prays according to the will of God. And don't ask me how that works, because I don't know, okay? And I have asked myself this question time and again, um, but I think the point of that Philippian passage 
is that that we take our burdens and lay them before God who in whose capable hands they now are so that he is going to do what he thinks is best. James says you have not because you ask not. Okay? All right, so we've got all these problems. Here, you take these to God, just like you would take your problems as a kid to your father. And your father says, I'm going to take care of this for you. Now, it does, he doesn't may not tell you how he's going to take care of it or whether he's going to take care of it in a way that's completely what you want. But you have a sense that what you take to him um, has now been placed in, in capable hands. And I think this is why the peace of God comes, because we know it's in God's hands now. And uh, that is a, a, a psychological element. This is not the peace with God, Romans 5. This is the peace of God. The peace with God is God's not angry at us anymore. We're not in that battle with God because we've been forgiven. That's an external state of affairs. Peace with God is subjective. Okay? It's what we feel. And the we will feel more of that peace the more effectively we are able to place all of our needs in his hands and let let him do it personally i think that's a battle that's a that's a function of spiritual growth and um there are some things it's going to be very easy to do that with and you're going to feel okay he's got it there are other things that it's going to be very very hard because they have more moral weight to them. They are, have more gravity to them. They mean more to us. Those, a lot of that's relationship stuff, and it's very hard to keep giving it to God. i got to give it back to God. i got to give it back to God. That's a process. So I think, I, I, I do think there's some, there's some ambiguous elements in this. Um, I just read in Psalm, what is it, 102 or 103? Or 104, right in there. He forgives all your iniquities. He heals all your diseases. Wait a minute. <laughs> Where does he heal all our diseases? You know, lots of sick people out there. I, and I don't know what to make of that. It's hyperbolic or whatever, but um, I do believe he heals all. He forgives all our iniquities for those who come to him for forgiveness. I, I don't know. So I think there's mystery in some some of these things. I, I I can't make sense of them all, and I'm sympathetic to those who struggle with praying and praying and praying and trying to leave with God, but taking it back and not having that peace. I get it. I'm I've I, I'm there in my in many aspects of my own life. And I just think that's part of the. That's part of the dance. That's part of the growth and sanctification that we experience. But I do think the more we're effectively we are able to leave these things in God's hand, and sometimes we have to keep praying to keep putting it back in there, the more at rest we'll be. Because we have an advocate. We have a friend in Jesus. We have a Father who cares. We have a Holy Spirit who comforts. We have a triune God who does all those things on our behalf. Mm-hmm. I think this is the biggest question that every Christian eventually will have to answer. How how do I not be anxious when I can't trust God to stop all bad things from happening to me? What does it mean to trust in God if it doesn't mean I trust that God will 
stop these bad things. Change things. Yeah. I. This is something that I, I think ultimately you have to go through because even if you have in your mind, oh, sure, I, I understand all of that. I, I get all of that. When you're actually in the situation, you'll figure out – Oh, I guess I kind of was expecting God to stop bad things from happening to me. You could have right theology about this and still experientially encounter it and find that deep down you really did think God was going to protect you from it. Mm-hmm. So every Christian is ultimately going to have to answer this question and have to to struggle through it and figure out what it means to trust in God. So I can – say words right now. You can say words right now. And hopefully when people go through this later, they'll remember those things and they'll they'll be able to put them into practice. But this is such a difficult thing to understand experientially. Um, one thing I want to say, Greg, since you brought up Philippians 4, I, I think at the end of this whole section, we do find out what Paul thinks the answer to this is because he says I, I can remember greg i can remember one time i was facing some suffering that i was going to have to go through for sure hmm. and i was dreading it i was anxious and i was looking at this saying well paul learned the secret what is the secret paul mm-hmm. <laughs> why won't you tell me the secret like it was staring me in the face and i didn't see it so after he talks about being just for nothing uh but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Then he goes on and he talks about how um, he how he thanks he thanks the Philippians for sending him things that he needed. And then he says, "Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity." In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. And then he tells you what the secret is. The secret is, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In other words, our anxiety, if if we know that, yes, we are going to go through this terrible thing, but we also know that we can do that through Christ who strengthens us, that he's not, he's never going to leave us or forsake us, that he will be there with us, that he will strengthen us, that he will enable us to go through that thing without falling away from God, without turning against God, without um, without despairing, without, you know, losing our souls. If we know that Christ will be with us, Paul says that is the secret of being content and not being anxious. You're trusting God to be faithful to you and help you through that thing. Not not to be faithful to end that thing you're going through, but to be faithful to be with you through that thing and to get you through that. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, I think that's the answer, but that's something we learn by practice, I think. Mm-hmm. There, There is one other detail there, uh, and I thought you were going to mention this, but you moved to the next one. And so something we jumped over, which is the very next verse that has the prayer of promise and the peace of God, which suppresses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. And then he says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, 
if there is any excellence or anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Okay? And, and, and so there is a mental exercise that is important to be maintaining peace. Because if you lay these things before God, and then your mind— and I mean, I do this myself, and I have to— I have to apply this passage. This is why I could recite it because I, I've said it so much to myself. You have to stop the talk that is counterproductive in your mind and negative and hostile towards, say, let's people in relationships. A lot of times, these things have to do with relationships, and and then silence the dark things that you're going on in your mind that is assaulting your peacefulness. And you have to focus on the things that will augment the peacefulness. You've given it to God. Now focus on those kinds of things that Paul just described. And uh, it, incidentally, I, that I'm not offering that as a, like, I'm just saying, it's, hey, here, this is it, man. It's easy to do. It's not easy to do. It's the right thing to do. But it is a challenge. We have to, in another passage, Paul says, discipline yourselves for the purpose of godliness. These kinds of things are disciplines. They are things that you learn to do by constant application to become, till they become part of your life. He finishes that second section with the very next verse again. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. So he's offering himself as a model. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Practice these things, and the God, it's interesting, of peace will be with you, because that's what we were just, he was just talking about, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. Well, that God of peace will be with you if you work at applying these things. You know, you just mentioned there, Greg, in that verse that, we discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And I think that's a good reminder that another piece of this puzzle is to keep in mind what God's goal is for us. His goal for us is not our comfort. His goal for us, according to Romans eight twenty eight and 29, is to conform us to the image of Christ. His goal is to make us like Christ. And his other goal... <laughs> He says in uh, in First Peter, it says that he he did this so that we would proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And in, in the context there, he's talking about our behavior reflecting who God is to the world. And this brings others to him ultimately. So in suffering, God both makes us more like Christ and... He gives us opportunities to proclaim his excellencies by responding in a way that shows others faith and responds with goodness and love rather than with bitterness and anger and reviling and all these other things. Because again, this is, this is the image that Christ gave to us when he, when he suffered and he remained faithful. So all of these things together, it, it's a hard lesson to learn, definitely. And you will learn it because God will bring you into these situations and you will suffer. And many churches do not prepare Christians for this. So hopefully, as you're listening to this, you can think about these things. Remember 
why you are here, remember why you're going through these things, to become like Christ, to proclaim the excellencies of God to others through your behavior, through your responses, through your trust and your, your faith, your, your love for God, your faithfulness to God. All of these things are what's important. And ultimately, if you read the Bible, you read the end, you know how this ends. Jesus is victorious. We are victorious. All of these suffering things will pass away. And we just need to use them for the purpose God has given them in this life. And then they'll be gone. So all of those things are things to keep in mind and hopefully... That will help you think through this. All right. We're out of time, Greg. Great questions as always. Right. We, we look forward to hearing from you on Twitter with the hashtag STRask. This is Amy Hall and Greg Kokel for Stand to Reason.